0: episode 119 of the canadian prepper podcast we are recording on june the 6th 2021 uh take a moment for the veterans it's d-day It allowed us the freedom to pontificate on preparedness without repercussions for now don't worry about c10 but find us on tour next week (laughs) my name is eric the host of the show Based in Southern Ontario, I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. Uh, As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events. Started a small preparedness company to help people be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. I didn't
1: put one Easter egg in there for you at all.
0: That was very nice of you.
1: No worries. My name is Ian. I live on Vancouver Island. I'm a student of preparedness, target shooter, and my farm's designated mediocre handyman.
2: I'm Scott, a frazzled new dad, paramedic splitting my time between southern and uh, northern Ontario. Uh, I like to learn things and I don't accept that things will always carry on the way they have just because they want them to.
3: And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, soon to be ham radio operator, and general overall handyman.
2: Want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? Buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt. you want to model that there, Jeff? Yeah, there you go.
0: And the People aren't going to buy it now.
2: (laughs) Well, maybe we'll buy the Tactical Velcro patch at prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled.
3: And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's just the topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca.
0: And all right, so we've got some uh, mildly depressing content for you in this episode. Uh, We'll start off with some preparedness-related news articles, then we'll let you know what we've done for our preparedness since our last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic, discussing one second after. And it's not all that depressing. Okay, yes, it is. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. I just want people to continue listening. (laughs)
1: It's like, it's like <laughs> Angela's, Angela's Ashes level of depressing. And like that of there. But anyway. Let's
0: move into the news.
1: All Speaking right, of yeah. depressing. Speaking of depressing, so uh, first we had the pipeline hack, now we had the North America's largest meat producer get hacked. Uh, JBS Beats, according to Forbes.com, is now recovering after their hack where they had 25% of the continent's beef production and 20% of their pork production offline for about a week. Um, again, fall, we could that under the fragility of the supply chain right now, uh, whether it be electronically or you know pulse wise or anything else, it just shows you how uh, thin of a thread society hangs on when it comes to technology. That so was very interesting.
0: Yeah, it's it's wild how everything just comes to a grinding halt.
1: Well, I, I, I couldn't figure out what the big deal was at first because, like, well, the cows are still there and you know, everything else, but. Then you start to realize that, I was listening to Ice Age Farmer, actually, on one of his podcasts, and he was saying, well, the reason it's so hard is because as soon as the virus hits and they don't know how much feed to order, they have enough feed on hand at the feedlot to get those cows to slaughter date, and they're not anticipating feeding them after the slaughter date, clearly. So once the cows have been sitting around for a couple days, now there's no food. Now you're losing meat because they're actually losing weight, and then now you've got starvation issues, water supply issues, everything else, because now the next group of cows isn't even showing up, and they have a different... Uh, diet requirement because they're they're fed so fast, right? And it, it screws up the whole system. So once the power of the computers come back online, it's not just like an instant recovery either, because now they got this this kind of backlog train. It's like derailing a train and all the cars kind of fall off. So it's yep. uh pretty terrifying when you think about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's wild that a computer system could just take everything down now. Yeah. But
1: and it's
0: the way things are.
1: And so in my conspiracy minded head, I'm thinking this is retribution or something. I don't know, but um,
0: <laughs> wait a minute, uh, not on yeah, a prepper so, podcast. Come yeah.
1: on. Yeah. <laughs> and then NBC news reports the uh, Iran's largest warship just miraculously caught on fire and sunk. All right. <laughs> just, you know, it's not like that firefighting teams on board or anything else. It just, that'll, that'll happen. Yeah. You no. would think that they would want to protect their biggest asset in, in their Navy, but anyways, and so, and also in strange news, uh, Iran's largest refinery south of Tehran, and a couple other refineries on the on the coast region, all mysteriously caught fire. Mm. <laughs> it's like, mm. better, like we got to send Alan over there to do some consulting work or something, and and you know, kind of get their firefighting up to stuff because clearly there's a problem there. But um, I found the timing quite con- convenient. You know, there seems to be like a cold, silent cyber war going on, yes. or something going on, and then just um, random fires. Yeah, I don't think fires hmm. like that happen randomly. And, of course, we'll, we'll find out about 30 yeah. years after they declassify everything. But Oh, yeah, um, of course. It was
0: totally aliens, right? Space laser, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah space aliens for sure. Yeah. But, well, uh, yeah,
0: the world's where the aliens come from.
1: That's right. But it's going to be a very interesting read when it does come up. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. And that's all I had. Cool. Well, I've got uh, an article here. Just in regards to, uh, and the the headline is uh, half of businesses have increased priority on disaster preparedness since the start of COVID-19. So nothing like a pandemic to start you into preparedness. But uh, at least businesses are kind of starting to to look at it now and go, oh, maybe we should have planned for stuff like this. So uh, it's, at least it's, you know, it's getting people to get into the preparedness mindset and and start to get plans in place and, and start thinking about things for the future. So it's good to see. It's too bad it took a pandemic to do it, but.
1: Well, I say you know, the best time to start prepping was ten years ago. The second best time is today.
0: When you're not in a pandemic, I suppose.
1: Well, even now, yeah. supply chains are still relatively intact. So. Yeah.
0: True. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough.
2: If it means we're better off for whatever comes next, it's better for everyone.
1: Exactly.
0: Bring Bring back the murder hornets.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I grabbed a. Uh, Quick article off uh, CNBC, just, uh, again, kind of not really preparedness-wise, but uh, just that the, uh, the chip shortage is starting to have major real-world consequences. Um, for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, there's uh, uh, quite a shortage of the chips. Well, it depends who you talk to. Some of them say there's quite the shortage. Other ones say that uh, some countries that manufacture them are hoarding them. So I guess it depends which one you want to believe. But I mean, chips are in anything and everything you have nowadays from TVs to computers. Um, The biggest hit right now seems to be automotive. Uh, There's thousands of vehicles sitting in uh, assembly parking lots waiting for chips. Word is that uh, car dealers, some of them in the States have days to weeks of inventory when they usually have uh, at least a month or two. So, there doesn't seem to be any, anything on the horizon that I could see that is going to, going to end it. And I mean, with China having the vast majority of the chips, the more that basically the United States or any other countries attack them, the more they're probably going to hoard them. So stay tuned.
1: Well, I'd say it's very apropos because, I mean, what's EMP affect most is microchips, but... Uh, also strangely enough there's a big fire in Taiwan at their big chip factory <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh. hold
1: on <laughs> well,
3: we yeah. really have to send Alan over there now
1: yeah it's <laughs> like oh my goodness it's just so so well placed these fires it's amazing so uh, yeah mm. the world's largest chip manufacturer caught fire and burned down about a month and a half ago in Taiwan and uh, the good. only other nation really that, cre- that creates microchips is China mainland China depends okay. if you want to go with that two country one country debate right now but anyway um, so yeah it's just how convenient all these things coming into play at once. but yeah, it's almost fires. like it's planned. Yeah.
0: Mm.
2: Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, uh. This week's book topic had me thinking about uh, other threats to the electrical grid. So uh, an article that kind of jumped out at me was uh, the sun sets off 4,000 sea mines during the Vietnam War, uh, and scientists are only now discovery or sort of realizing how strong this 1972 solar storm was. Uh, It got me thinking about the Carrington event, the Quebec power blackout back in 1989 that was caused by a solar flare. Um, So just sort of going down this rabbit hole, reading uh, Lloyd's of London uh, back in uh, 2013, estimated that that event today uh, would have cost between... uh, $600 $600 billion and $2.6 trillion worth of damage. Wow. Um, You know, they sort of talk about like telegraph lines catching fire and telegraph operators being shocked and, you know, radio shacks literally burning down. The other interesting thing in reading about the Quebec incident, the uh, Quebec blackouts, different forms of bedrock have different impacts on how uh, those solar storms affect the power grid built above them. Uh, Canadian Shield being lots of granite that doesn't conduct electricity really well, all of that energy goes into the power lines, so it's a lot more susceptible than other types of uh, like just limestone or sedimentary rock. Um, So all of a sudden it means we're in or potentially much worse shape because of it. So, you know, while we're discussing EMPs, or the the book's discussing EMPs today, um, the reality is, you know, I think if Mother Nature decides to throw something at us uh, on the scale of uh, a Carrington event issue, it was back in uh, the mid-1800s, and basically you could see uh, the... Um, aurora, uh, aurora borealis were so bright they were visible down to the equator and apparently you could like read by them they were so bright uh, just as an indicator of how strong a solar storm uh, that was and how much damage that would do to us today as per Lloyd's of London the insurers
1: well and the smaller the electronics get the smaller the uh, I guess the circuits and the more susceptible they are to lower voltages even doesn't even yeah. have to be as high so mm. pretty crazy
0: yeah, sure is. Mm-hmm. Cool. Shall, we, shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? Let's do it. All right. So for myself, tore the chainsaw pretty much down uh, as far as I could anyways. Cleaned it all up. And believe it or not, I put it back together and it runs again. So uh, I was pretty happy with that. It uh, it needed a good cleanup and a good tune up. And uh it was spewing bar oil all over the place and just not running very nicely at all. And we've got a, a fishing trip coming up out in the middle of nowhere where it's probably going to be uh, useful to have. So figured I'd put uh, put my YouTube skills to use and uh, watch a couple of 12-year-olds show me how to tear it apart and put it back together, and uh, it worked.
1: It's a little emasculating when somebody has like the stuff all figured out before their like, voice drops. Yeah, but uh, yeah. it worked. I know, and, I, I uh, the stuff I've learned off uh, just on electrical circuits off kids that are like younger than my kids, it's terrifying.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just assume the parents are in the background actually telling them what to do, so I feel a little bit better about it.
1: it That's what need that. you need to tell yourself. The prob- probably not.
2: <laughs> the the <laughs> username <laughs> has a, a chainsaw yeah. brand in it or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah.
2: it's the Still family. What?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as for oh, yeah. myself, let's see here. I had to go to work. So I blatantly disregarded the do not travel advisories, uh, went and did my thing, came back. Then I immediately went and did it again to move my daughter over, uh, moved her out of the house so she could go off to university. So yeah, uh, one less person in the house, food supplies uh, duration just went up by a quarter, I guess.
3: <laughs> 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 On the bright side, I don't know. Like. Yeah, hey,
1: eh? yeah.
3: Nothing like, hey, see you later. Thanks for uh, leaving us stuff behind.
1: Yeah, yep. but by the same token, though, I <laughs> guess that, that, you know, makes my uh, extraction and bug out uh, plants mm. a little more difficult. So you got to take the good with the bad, yeah.
0: right? <laughs> yeah, true. It's a balancing <laughs> act.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. Anyway. So other than that, I, I just did some wood chopping as per normal, uh, taking care of those uh, those big trees I took down last winter. Just the big branches are just like 30 feet long. I was just kind of chop sawing up those things. Got to experience a little first aid scare by having the chop saw explode on me after 20 years of hard use. Yeah. Uh, just came over with a couple of bruises. That was it. And luckily, I was wearing my eye protection, so that was good. Alan would be very proud of me.
0: Did um, you have a carbon monoxide detector nearby, though?
1: I did not. Oh, he's going <laughs> to be mad. But it was. Oh, wearing he's going to be mad. I mean, does sawdust create <laughs> carbon monoxide? I don't know. Gordon <laughs> Allen, it does. Uh, uh, everything does. It's like, show me on the doll where the carbon monoxide is, Alan. <laughs> <So> <laughs> oh, oh, he'll get us. Oh, next next oh, week. Oh, here we yeah. go. Yeah, here yeah, we next go. week, he'll get us. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't personally do this, but we did hatch out some uh, some baby chickens this week, so that was good. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't want to sit on the eggs for three weeks, that'd be boring. So, we've got five already, and we're still hatching them out, so we'll see how many we get for this, uh, this season's egg layers. Let's uh, see here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, there is an Easter egg there. Never mind. Uh, did some prelim work on a homebrew ammo can, and uh, I was trying to do like a battery recharging stations solar powered and kind of putting it all together. So kind of trying to get one of those setups. I'm just doing some ordering on AliExpress and everything else. And then other than that, I went to my good friend at rapid survival and ordered some Berkey replacement water filters. Oh, look at that. And that was it.
3: Cool. Jeff. So, uh, I just, uh, rotated my fuel stock, got everything topped back up again uh we organized my pantry found some things that were just a tad little bit expired so i'll move them to the front and get them uh taken care of hopefully sooner than later before they're much longer expired um that's more or less been it for my week or two weeks i guess nice uh
2: i've been reading a whole lot about zero pots um it's an old technology for cooling and food preservation where you have a clay pot surrounded by sand, surrounded by another clay pot, you pour a bunch of water into the sand and it can evaporate through the clay. Uh, we had a little bit of a discussion about this offline, but it sort of certainly falls under this, this old technology that I, I find fascinating because it doesn't rely on batteries, doesn't rely on power, doesn't uh, rely on anything that isn't readily available. Um, So I have ambitions of uh, trying some of these. I know we talked about how hard it is to find large pots, uh, large clay pots, because now everything's made of plastic. Um, But at the same time in reading about them, sometimes going larger isn't necessarily better. You're better to have multiple small ones because you have more surface area that way. And it sort of keeps the the smaller inner pot cool. Um, But it's quite interesting.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, we were actually looking at those, too, because I think it's about a 10 to 12 degree drop in temperature on the inside. And I, I used to see them being used out in Mexico quite a bit, obviously, because of the clay down there. They, they use clay pots all the time. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a, a cool technology. It's quiet. Doesn't doesn't you know require much other than a little bit of water. And if you have a swamp nearby, it's perfect, right?
2: Yeah, doesn't have to be drinkable water or anything. So, yeah,
3: anyway,
2: I like it. I've also been thinking about old cars. Um, a friend of mine in high school had restored an old VW Beetle, uh, that he paid less for than the price of baloney by the pound. <laughs> <laughs> he worked at a grocery store at the time. That's how we measured things. Um, but he chose it specifically because it was old enough to have zero electronics, um, which means that he could actually fix things. You know, as soon as there's electronics, there's things you just can't fix. Um, and that lesson's really stuck with me. And you know, I like things that you're able to actually fix on your own should need be? So anyway, it's got me thinking.
0: It has nothing to do with the book, does it?
2: Uh, <laughs> admittedly, the, the the book this week you know, and the fact that all of these books seem to have someone with a really old car may have been part of that thought process. Not going to deny it.
1: You want to be the, that guy? <laughs> it's actually uh, one of my neighbors back in Ontario actually had one of those uh, VW Beetles, the the OG version. And you're right because even the the windshield washer fluid like motor that would normally be electronic and, and solenoid driven and stuff it, it actually used compressed air off the spare tire to power the windshield washer fluid dispenser yeah, it's like, huh. yeah super old school technology i was like well eventually your spare tire is going to go flat he goes yeah but just in the old days when they used to go to the filling station they fill up the gas and fill up the air in all the tires including the spare and that's how they do it i was like well that's actually kind of smart <laughs> <Huh. Yeah. laughs> there we go so yeah that was, it was Definitely a good idea with the little VW bugs, for sure. I mean, not exactly a cargo machine, but it works.
0: I like it. Yeah, good. All right. Shall we uh, move into the main topic, as depressing as it may be? Uh,
2: I was the one that suggested this book. Um, you're welcome, and I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've read it before. It terrified me then. Uh, having rereading it, I am absolutely every bit as terrified.
0: It is terrifying. Um,
2: It really is. Um, Very rarely does the forward or afterward of a book add much value as far as I'm concerned. In this case, I honestly think they're really important pieces, and I encourage you to read them if you haven't. Um, Specifically, where uh, they talk about the author, uh, William R. Fortune, Um, he wrote this as a cautionary tale about how incredibly ill-prepared we are in the face of this threat. Uh, and when you kind of consider that piece, um, there's so many details that he included as to just explore different areas of modern life that would be impacted by a cataclysmic event, this threat or otherwise. Um, you know, and when you look at the similarities between uh, this book one one second after and seventy seven days in September that we talked about a few months back, uh, it's not a coincidence that there there's all kinds of similarities because they're both based on the same report to Congress on the threat of EMP attack. Uh, I made a point of reading that it's a little less exciting, um, but still troubling is it identifies all sorts of areas of our society that are at risk, that are completely interconnected and interdependent. Uh, you know, when we talk about all the supply chain um, stuff, we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, you know, all of this stuff is, is all interrelated. So, uh, spoiler alert, the book is about EMP. Um, the story follows John Matherson, a retired army colonel who moved to the small North Carolina town his wife was from while she was succumbing to cancer. Uh, he teaches history at the local college, looks after their two daughters with help from his mother-in-law. Uh, you know, there's the initial power outage that doesn't rattle them much, it's a blackout, these things happen uh, until they realize all the cars on the freeway have stopped and there's no planes in the sky um so John's background as a military historian gives him a head start in realizing it was an EMP um he presents an old paper he'd written on asymmetric warfare to the mayor and as a result he kind of ends up uh, sitting on the council that helps uh, steer the town through all the various crises um so fortune really puts a lot of energy into crafting all sorts of issues into the storyline. Uh, you know, the rush on the banks and stores, the stranded refugees, the need for medicines, the lack of food uh, in our just-in-time society, uh, medical care, looters, violence, martial law, uh, food rationing, infection and antibiotics, rebuilding uh, with old technology, like from the old telephone switchboard they find uh, antique cars. Um, the other neighboring towns try to impose their will, either by taking resources or uh, ordering uh, the, the town at the center of the story to accept refugees, the dwindling resources from cigarettes to medicine to food, uh, the building of a local militia and the eventual confrontation with the roving posse of evildoers. <laughs>
3: um,
2: and I mean, it, it's all... when When you take it in the context of him writing it as a cautionary tale, you can see so much detail is carefully put in there to make you think about all of these things. Um, And I mean, in in our sort of pre-show discussions about it, we were sort of saying every time you read it, you pick out more things that you hadn't thought about, (laughs) Uh, you know, the the previous time, just because there's so much detail in there.
1: Yeah, it's actually fascinating. Like, uh, well, just to boil it down, I guess the book is about all the changes in society that would happen and have happened since it was last an issue. Um, and I think he just nailed it all out there in that one paragraph there, about all the things that would have to be thought of and everything else. And mm-hmm. because it's a cautionary tale, he doesn't focus on the prepper porn standard of the the tactical, you know, gunfight <laughs> aspect where you know you know buddy let loose with a uh, thirty round mag from his you know H and K four one six and all those other stuff. No, it's actually just says, okay, well, the battle's over. It went well, <laughs> no, <Nope>. but, uh, <laughs> but let's focus on the more thing, like, which is like triage and stuff like that. And so uh, as far as like uh, laying out s- uh, societal issues that would come up and there'd, there'd be plenty of them. Uh, awesome book for that. Right.
0: Oh yeah. Sure was.
1: Yeah. So uh, I guess the, uh, when it starts off, the first thing that he really covers is just society's general lack of EMP knowledge because every standing around going, Oh, well, my smartphone is black. That's weird and, you know, like, power's out, but oh well, you know, it'll yeah. come back on in a, in a couple couple hours, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, and
0: so will my phone. My phone will come back, no problem. Yeah, and and they, they charge it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they don't They don't tie in the fact that, you know, that the chances of those two both dying at the same time is pretty much nil, but yeah, there's this kind of, like, cognitive dissonance or continuation bias or whatever, and they just carry on until he's actually starting to say, hey, like, hello, McFly, like, you know, this is obviously not, not normal, and of course, the problem is that this book does cover it in, a, in a roundabout way is that there's a lack of news. Nobody knows what's going yep. on because, well, nobody can communicate because <laughs> our I communication so. system requires and, microchips. And, yep.
3: and what I seen was the fact that even, you know, when, when this happened and he knew it was an EMP, everybody else is like, well, the power, like you, you guys said, all well, the power will come back in a couple hours. Okay. But that doesn't explain why all of the cars on the freeway just suddenly stopped. Yep. Y- yeah. You know, a, a power, the power grid isn't going to make your cars stop. So,
1: yeah, but again, you know, people's general lack of technical knowledge—like myself yep. included—like I, I, there's there's huge gaps in my preps as far as technical knowledge, and and yet the average person has even less, which terrifies me. But uh, yep. yeah. In the fact, they wouldn't tie the two together and figure that that's not normal. They're just like, oh, okay, well, well, I just ran out of gas at the same time that these things happen, I guess. You know, it's a bad day. Well, sort of everything else, but oh, well. Common and they're, sense they're,
0: is not very common. No,
1: and they're just sitting there mm-hmm. milling around on the highway, and you realize that that's exactly what they would do because they'd be waiting yeah. for you to help to come, mm-hmm. uh, wait for the cell phone to come back uh, so they can make a phone call, uh, mm-hmm. you know, somebody to offer them a ride. They're, so people just sat and I was like, huh.
0: yeah, because they're not thinking about, you know, if something like this were to happen, what would I do? Because every day it's just I go from A to B. I do A, B, C, D. You know, it's a fairly structured type of life. And then all of a sudden something throws a curveball into it and people just don't think. Right. So it's. It's yeah. interesting that they just sit on the freeway, wait well, for someone I- to come and help.
1: But it, it, same, by the same token, though, some guys didn't wait for nine meals to go to the anarchy stage. Like already people yeah. start, you know, start uh, trying to edge towards Buddy's car when he first starts yeah. out. And, uh, you know, eyeing up the ladies and everything else. And, you know, people are sitting around waiting for the military to come in to aid them. And, you know, like when a tsunami hits uh, Indonesia and a, and a carrier shows up to offer aid, that's one thing. Or like, you know, Scott goes down to Haiti to offer aid. But when an entire continent is out, like, pe- do people honestly believe the military can just show up with enough MREs to feed the population for the next year? Mm. They do, I think.
0: <laughs> 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 anybody yeah. listening to this podcast probably not, but anybody but- not listening probably. And
2: that's the thing, you know, FEMA or whatever organization—it's all about moving resources to where they're needed. But if they're needed everywhere, you're—and
0: they're not. Yeah, they're not unlimited resources. Yeah. Right. So, well,
1: I think they—they they actually said they had stockpiled like sixty-something million meals. That means that one-fifth of all Americans would get one meal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's assuming that you could get them all to those people with no yep. transportation because everything's shut down truck wise. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy that way. Like 60, 60 million MREs sounds cool if you're like a 30,000 man army or something. But
0: anyway, and uh, on top of that, everybody with access to those MREs is also without power and food. Is it yeah. all going to get distributed? Nope. probably not
1: No, nope. so I'm sitting on a pile of MREs
0: sweet <laughs> Look <at that>. yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, awesome uh, the other thing I just want to talk on briefly too is the uh, I guess the interim leadership that uh, John Matheson became part of versus the political leadership so you've got the town's emergency, emergency coordinator and you've got the mayor and the sheriff and random history professor showing up and do you really want the person that's used to cutting ribbons and attending like Parades and stuff like that. Do you really want them in charge of something like this? Or do you want the uh emergency emergency guy is strictly worried about keeping everybody the same, or do you want the guy that actually has some historical historical knowledge? And so it becomes almost like a leadership struggle for who's the best man for the ongoing crisis at the time. Yep. And that's huge. Like, imagine if you were the mayor of the town and you didn't want to give up the reins of power, but you didn't know what you were doing, and the hilarity that would ensue afterwards, right? yeah we see, we see that
2: often enough in yeah proceeds.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's yeah, sad. alone it's just a major the, one like that and yeah who would you want in charge at that point right like would you want the sheriff to just be like shoot looters and keep shooting until the people settle down like well maybe not <laughs> you know, like,
0: yeah or, or, there's gotta <laughs> be a fine balance somewhere people down,
2: right yeah yeah,
0: yeah that's how that works no. and
1: the, actually <laughs> the book covered that well because like they're like okay, so we've got a couple of guys that were clearly uh, looting and murdering. Uh, let's put him in jail. No, well, let's see what the, the jury wants to do. And they sentence him to death. Now they're kind of sitting there navel gazing. Who's going to shoot him? Oh, <laughs> well, we can't have you do it. We can't have you do it. So I guess you're yep. all untold. And And yep. uh, yeah, that was uh different as well, because I mean, the person that wants to do that job, you probably don't want doing that job.
3: No,
0: no, <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah.
1: So yeah, it's a, that's a really tough like in societal changes. Like I said, it this, that's the ongoing theme with this book is just, uh, yeah the the normal does not work in a in a situation like this,
0: no. And they go like for that example too. They go to the extreme of where those those guys were looting and stealing and stuff. They go to the extreme of uh, death sentence. You know, in regular times, you would never see that, right? But
1: well, we had the death sentence up until sixty seven in Canada, and I mean, I think I still think a lot of Canadians are in favor of it. Um, won't speak for anybody, but. <laughs> Anyway, but I'm just saying, like, it's the fact is that, yeah, like when you have limited resources and you know you can only feed X amount of people, yep. what would be the point of keeping these people in prison that have already murdered? And it, that becomes that ethical, you know, legal, everything dilemma, like ongoing constitution mm-hmm. dilemma and everything else. Like what, at what point do you say, well, they're not worth the food they're eating anymore? That And who has to make that call? Who has to enforce it? That's a, that's yeah. a huge change for, for a small community to go through.
0: Yeah. yeah, that section of the book really had me thinking because I... I never really thought about that before with, with society going through a situation like that. All of a sudden, yeah, things are a lot worse than, uh, than what they are now. If you, if you're stealing food from people and you're breaking into places you can do and doing all that, it's just, it's a lot, that's a lot harsher, I guess is the best way to put it. It's yeah.
2: Well, I also like that, uh, that fortune, he's a historian, that's his background. <laughs> so all of this stuff is put In the context of what has happened historically during you know the siege of leningrad is uh, referenced a whole bunch of times in the book and you know all sorts of other historical factual examples that you know sort of can be transposed onto north american society and what are we going to do with you know here's the problem what solution have people come up with historically
1: Yeah. I mean, cannibalism is touched on. It's just not something anybody wants to talk about or admit to, but (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's, it's not something that's unheard of in the 20th century. Even it was, it was done in uh, various countries, including Leningrad. Um, But there was also a point where people's kids had died and they said, well, I can't eat my own kid, but I can eat my neighbor's kid. And they can eat my kid and we'll just do, you know, tradesies. And it's, it's horrible. Like just stuff that you would never even fathom in your, in your brain right now. But yeah, as a history professor, there is actually a Montreat college and he actually did teach there, I believe. If you uh, read the afterwards, I think it's Yeah, there.
2: well, and it's kind of neat. If you look at uh, just Google Maps of Black Mountain, North Carolina, you can actually see where the interstate goes through and, you know, all of this stuff. Like, he, he obviously wrote what he knew um, yes. because it's, it's describing very real places and, you know, how uh, a strategically strong bottleneck point for, for defense. And uh, so it, it's well written that way.
1: Well, and water supplies, like he touches on that with the, the neighboring community. And, you know, I mean, You know, I guess you guys have water towers that get water pumped up to them and then distributed. But same thing here. We have water, water sheds that that feed certain towns that other people have control of and everything else. And that yeah, could certainly come into play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the forward, I think it was, that covers the congressional report. Mm-hmm. They talk about the, the 90% die off within a year and, you know, a couple other things. But the whole point is they haven't really done tests on this since the, I guess, the late 80s was the last one. And they did Starfish Prime back in the 60s, which was an accidental discovery. And then they did another one where they had a bunch of random cars in the 80s lined up in a parking lot. And they, you know, they basically did a test. And not all of them were affected. And they are they like, well, we're not 100% sure how this is going to go. But this is how we think it's going to go. <laughs> and so <laughs> nobody actually knows, like, how bad this could be. And I think, like we no. were mentioning before, is that the smaller these circuits get, the more susceptible they are to even lower voltages, let alone emp voltages which are in the you know fifty thousand uh, volt range or higher yep. so yeah this is this could actually be a lot worse than he's making it out to be in the book
2: well and i mean it's it's very interesting because when you look at some of the small electronics that are more sensitive but also you know whether your apple watch has enough surface area sort of antenna wise to accumulate that voltage versus something that's plugged into a 30 mile long power line um you know, it's, it's hard to say, and you're you're right. We really don't know. We know there's a theoretical risk, but we have no idea how good or bad it can be. I mean, just talking about asymmetric warfare, um, I mean, whether the threats, you know, if it were a cyber attack that did actual physical damage to the power grid, a solar flare that did damage to the power grid, sure, it you know, great that your house parts may may be affected may not be affected uh but then all of a sudden there'll be all sorts of other problems like the the ease that they found gasoline because no one's cars were running in the book really struck me as like okay they're getting off too easy
1: (laughs) well until the gasoline is no good after six months but i mean well that Mm -hmm. too
2: but you know let's let's say the power grid goes down so everyone's cars are still working as long as you can get gas into them and we're all going to run out of gas really
1: quickly and it's still going to be the same
2: disruptions to the food you know Food distribution system, medicine. Yeah.
1: But the uh, you mentioned asymmetrical warfare. I mean, from a cost, per, you know, benefit analysis perspective, if you're some small nation and you got a bone to pick with somebody, I mean, instead of building carriers and submarines and you know, massing armies and training them, you just get you know one old scud missile with a, a crappy old Ukrainian nuke from the, the mid '60s, and you've got her taken care of. Like, and it, it's cheap relatively. Allegedly. Relatively. Yeah, not, not that <laughs> nukes can be bought at 7-Eleven like Marty McFly style, but uh, yeah, like seriously, I mean, if you're a rogue state or a rogue power of some sort, do not have to be a state, and you want to like kick somebody in the in the nards hard, uh, from a, a asymmetrical warfare perspective, you can't think of a better way to do it. You know, for the sake of bribing a few big brains on how to, to load up a rocket like that. It wouldn't be that difficult, I wouldn't think, but not that I've tried it often. But... <laughs> 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 but anyways, yeah, it's uh, it's actually, it's, it's fascinating when you think about the simplicity of it, how you could bring a, a major power like the States, or any other major power, to their knees by doing this. And I'm sure the next kinetic war, there'll be some level of this happening, because why not?
2: Well, I mean, honestly, whether it's an EMP or just, you know, a plain old cyber attack. Like I, I, think the threat to our very old electrical grid system is pretty profound.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's scary when you think about it.
2: Yeah. And, and whether, whether it were an EMP or, you know, the grid being crippled by any, any of the other threats to it, realistically, that 90% die off uh, is probably an accurate number, whatever the, doesn't matter what the causative event is without electricity. We're in a lot of trouble.
1: Yep. Well, yeah, the die off, they're becoming in a wave, which I guess we can talk about right off the bat too, is, is, you know, you got the immediate die off, which is going to be like the pacemakers, people on life support, you know, uh, people in airplanes and cars that are going way too fast for their own good. And, uh, you know, lose control. Um, uh, then you have the next waves where they get the medically delayed people. And then, you know, with the inevitable starvation after the food runs out, cold winters on the prairies. Yeah. 90% seems kind of low. When you think
3: mm-hmm.
1: about it, but
2: well, and one of, one of the things they touched on is, you know, our, our society is capable of feeding this many people based on technology. And, you <laughs> know, if, if you take that technology away, our society won't be able to feed this many people.
3: Mm hmm.
1: Well, and and people going to that nine meals to anarchy thing, I mean, the people that were, you know, stuck passing through on the highway there, I mean, they're in such dire straits. You think you're bad sitting at home when something like this happens. So if you're in the middle of the road and all you have is what's in your car, it's not going to take nine meals to get to the point where you're getting desperate, right? So I I think the the inevitable crime wave would be sped up exponentially out of fear, desperation, whatever you want to call it. But man, oh man, what a... uh, what a cavalcade of bad events happening all at once! <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, oh, I just want to touch on that quickly too. Is like we talked about the uh, the guys in the the town council and stuff. I did kind of giggle about that one thing where the guy uh, came, was it the sheriff or somebody. Somebody was the avid golfer, oh. and and basically he didn't like the idea of turning the local golf course into a graveyard. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you expect? People are going to carry a body three hundred miles, uh, three miles out of town, to the local graveyard. Or they can walk across the street and and you know conserve calories and get it done there and but just that he still had in his brain that things were going to get back to normal long enough he could play golf I was like <laughs> not happening anyway
2: no but it's it's a perfect example of that cognitive dissonance uh, that y- you've talked about and that you know all of the personal biases that we bring into everything. You know, what, whatever it is, you know, when, whether you're voting, whether you're making a, picking something at the store, it's your personal biases that are directing those choices. So, you know, it, be it a love of golf or, you know, some of the other issues, you know, touched on in the book, like, you know, if you're a dog lover or if they're a protein source. <laughs>
0: like. Yeah.
1: Well, and he also touches on the fact that they, they're great biological alarms that it did its job for him. Uh, yep. By the same token, it turned out to be a single-use biological alarm because it got shot during the break-in. Yep. So, you know, a good solid case for having more than one dog. And, you know, I realized that something could happen to them by them doing their job. Yep. And then they turn into a food source. <laughs> so, True. Yeah, horrible stuff. And speaking of food, actually, I, um, I was going to mention there that the concept of societal changes there, the concept of personal property versus, you know, mm-hmm. the state notices you have a big pile of food. All these people are hungry. We would like your food. Yep, and that becomes the issue. Like, do you want to help everybody for two meals, or do you want to help your family for a year? You know, it's tough calls all around, right? Does the state have the power to do that?
0: Refer to our last episode, "Hiding in Plain Sight."
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: in the uh, in this book, they talk about the Franklin Clan. Um, there are two more books in the series, which I've uh, had the pleasure of enjoying, and they actually sort of introduce them. More into the, the main storyline. And they're fairly hardcore preppers that have thought about these things before. And, you know, I mean, from my perspective, maybe the heroes of the story, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's very interesting in sort of how, how to negotiate their interactions.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the fact is that I think they came up with a decent solution. It's like if you're going to ask for food handouts, you have to allow for an inspection in your house because if, if you're asking for handouts you're clearly out right so yep. you know you have to offer up whatever you have in order to put in the kitty so you can get your your daily meal ration ticket or whatever and uh although, I it's
3: a, it's a although there are there are people who would uh who would take the handout and still have something hidden back for for later and so yeah you know, i kind of looked at that and went yeah i i can kind of see that you if you want the card you allow us to uh, see what you've got hidden yeah, and
1: that's that's fair. Like I said, that was a good workaround versus, versus just saying, well, whatever you have, we're just taking, whether or not you like it. But you could, they could opt out. They could say, well, you're not getting ration cards if you have your own food. Do your thing, right? Yep. Yep. And I think that's a, a good compromise. Same thing with the cars, though. There was that immediate issue with the like, hey, your car's running. We need it because we're yep. you know, we're the authority figure. He's like. Nope.
0: Nope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but eventually they came around, like they they figured out yep. some workarounds for it. But I mean under under that panic, right? Like the oh my oh my goodness, like how am I supposed to do my job without my you know, my tourists or whatever the yep. police car is? Um yeah, it uh turned into a fast panic.
0: Yeah, I found that was interesting too.
3: I like and that anyway. one. That was yeah. the good cop, bad cop one part of it. Yep. It's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was good, yeah.
1: Um, personalities about uh, change in mm-hmm. society there too. So we a uh, bunch of people kind of come out of the woodwork, didn't we? Oh yeah. So the uh, the burglars, looters, whatever you want to call them, um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're bound to happen. So I'm speaking of biological alarms. <laughs> 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 we got a bear in the neighborhood right now. So, um, and we got, we got the, the uh, yeah, he's doing his job. So we got the marauders. We got the uh, the prophets. Uh, they touched on that a few times. You know, people take the emergency and say, hey. You know the world is ending. Listen to what I say. I've got some great ideas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Follow me. <laughs> yeah, and you can see that that happening, and people not knowing what else to do, they're like, "Okay, tell me what to do," because like that's yep. what I'm used to doing. So, and before you know it, you've got like gangs of people that are like following what they believe is their what their one true savior and uh, doing all sorts of crazy things they would never normally do. Yep. Um, yeah, this 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 whole book, I'm just like, yeah, he's not wrong, and. Yeah. And no. that, that would happen.
0: It certainly would. <sighs> yeah. Nope, it's, it, it's freaky.
1: <laughs> well, and we talked about the, uh, the mental game too, like back in, mm-hmm. uh, was it, uh, yeah. I guess mental, mental health and preparedness. I think it was that episode. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, people who give up so after a while you know some of the people start refusing food because they want to you know give it to the people that are actually contributing to society or just you know trying to just put on a brave face because they're old and they're going to die anyway and uh so people start refusing food get into depression the suicide rate goes through them at the roof because there's just no hope on the horizon and mm-hmm. um yeah it's kind of the opposite of marauders who are doing everything to stay alive right
3: yep and D- darren made a good comment i don't know if you guys seen that in the live chat there we talked about uh, where a quarter of the population was on antidepressants or mm. anti anxiety medication, and they're running out now. Expect a whole lot of insanity.
1: And again, depending yeah. on how many supplies people have on hand, some people go week to week. Some people are smart, maybe have a month's worth. But after no more than a month, I would say you're going to have a lot of loonies, like, you know, clucking <laughs> like a chicken as they walk down the road, talking to the walls and um, unstable and unpredictable behavior at best, right?
3: And they're the dangerous people. Nope.
1: Yep. Well, again, you know, some, sometimes it's not their fault. I mean, like I do believe there was a large institution in Aurelia where they just they let loose a bunch of them after the uh, the there government had yep. closed it down and, and they just kind of let them loose on society and luckily they're still medicated, okay. but you know that they're there and they're they're mm-hmm. currently medicated. What happens when they're not? Yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah. and all kinds of other medication too. We saw that in the book with the insulin, right? It's yeah. that's gonna disappear as well. And and you can't keep it cold if you don't have a fridge. So it's
1: even with a zero pot, yeah. you wouldn't be able to keep no. it very long. That's for sure. No, yeah. no, sadly not. No, and and it again boils down to they come back to the insulin thing later on in the simple fact that supply chain comes into play. It's like I've got X amount of insulin, I've got yep. so many mild diabetics I can keep alive for five years, or I can keep yep. your daughter alive for another month and she's already on the way out. So what do you want me to do? Yeah. Um, harsh but fair.
0: It's it's triage, and triage isn't always pretty, right? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, the concept of triage. We talked uh, yeah. talk about that quickly too. Like we talked about, uh, you know, trying to keep the workers that are actually like doing the soldiering, the digging, and all this other stuff. People could earn extra rations by doing hard labor, but by the same token, said losing game, no matter what, the the rations they were given out weren't enough to offset the calories they're burning. Nope. But they did triage, and people that weren't doing much weren't getting high rations and got put on half or quarter rations after a while. That is.
3: And it was kind of the same thing after the the big battle, where uh, that guy's girlfriend was going around and putting a number on everybody's forehead—a one, two, or a three. Because basically, yeah, you're 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 a three. You're still alive, but we're not going to help you because you're not going to survive. And
1: yeah, yeah, why give somebody limited pain meds when they're going to die anyway? Or you can you know give it to the person that may live through it if you get immediate care. And there are people that cut thingy, you know, can wait till. Everybody else is taken care of first, right? And they don't they wait until the power
0: comes back on. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah I
1: mean, cut cut thingies do come into play during the book, but by the same time, they're like, yeah, if you have a, a battle scar of some sort, you may die from it, but you're not going to die right away, so you have to get less of a priority. Yep. But harsh.
0: Yep, but necessary.
2: Uh, admittedly, those those triage tags are just color coded ones in real life.
1: Actually, yeah. I was. Can ask, but <laughs> yeah. But and, uh, when you think what they have to triage now, like in normal times, like you know whether it be hurricane Katrina or whatever, like you know pick your disaster, like your uh, your earthquakes or whatever. Can you imagine if you know you only have like six pain pills left for the community? Like who do they, who gets them, and why? So, <laughs> I would need them clearly but it's clearly got, they go. To I got end, cut yes. fingy, So hangnail. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Hangnail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hang Get off my back, man. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing I didn't agree with, with the whole book that towards the end, it was, uh, they talked about the BC, he, they hinted at the rebuild time. Cause of course, as I've read the second book, I haven't read the third yet, but when I read the second book, it just seemed that the rebuild time was awfully convenient. Uh, they did kind of do it in stages, saying, you know, the, the coastal towns are back on order or back online. And, you know, they're slowly working their way towards, uh, uh black, Black Mountain. Yes. And uh, it just seems it, it was at nine months or was it I think it was nine months they were back in nine, the military. Nine, back yep. in. So I honestly think it would take longer than that because oh, yeah. you're assuming that the people that made the microchips didn't do this and so you're assuming that they're going to provide you with microchips and supplies and maybe help and they won't try and just take some land in exchange for that help. Mm-hmm. I think the rebuild time would be a lot longer than people actually want to let themselves believe. It's not going to be a year.
3: Yeah, well, I, I mentioned it. I mentioned it in my notes. I mean, j- just for the, the power grid itself, I mean, coming out of the, the, the power plants are the huge step up transformers so they can send the power down long distances. They call them, uh, lar- well, basically large transformers. And they're only made in a few countries. And they're a minimum of an 18 month right now, today. They're an 18 month order that you'll get delivery. So you're right. I mean, to, to say we're going to get all this up and running in nine months when we've got to start from scratch. It, it, I'm afraid it's not, that's not reality. No.
1: Well, yeah, I think it's Siemens in Germany makes them a couple in China and then I think one other place too, but yeah. And that's assuming normal order load, right? Like, you know, we need yeah. like one, you know, I think they only yep. have one or two spares and each transformer has specific specs. You can't just take like one spare transformer from Philadelphia and put it over in LA because it's completely different requirements, yep. right? For resistance level voltages, everything else. So they're actually, they're custom orders for each single one. Yep. So you can imagine they need a couple thousand at once like that. This is not going to happen. It's, it's, no. t- t- it's five to 10 year replacement. So oh, yeah. you
2: have to re- rebuild the entire
1: system from scratch. Well, hopefully, they just use more chips and make it more and that's, electronic. And, and, that, it. and that
3: too is taking into account <laughs> that the countries that make them, like Germany and whatever, yep. didn't get half wiped out either. So, yeah. Yep.
1: Well, yeah, because if if it's all Western powers or all Eastern powers or whatever, like you know, a group of people get taken out, they might have to be the happen to be the manufacturing hub. Then what? Yeah, it's
3: yeah, exactly. You
1: know, slow degradation worldwide at that point. Um, and then the last thing I just want to touch on before I hand it over to you guys was the uh, the twenty percent factor. So. Military rolls in at the end of the book and says, "Hey, how many people you got left?" He's like, "Well, geez, twenty percent. We got devastated." He goes, "That's actually pretty good." And that kind of hit me too, and especially the first time I read it, the fact that you know cities would be much worse off. They figured there's twenty thousand people left in all of New York, and they were saying, you know, people in the country sitting on stacks of corn did better. I mean, obviously population density kills. I get that, but twenty percent—like, can you imagine this devastation to your society and being told you did a good job? I just was like, yeah. Uh, yeah so um and then i did kind of touch on it about two minutes ago but uh, yeah if you get aid from a foreign country what's going to be attached to like what strings are going to be attached to that foreign help are they going to say well we get we're going to seize your port in seattle and but we're going to offer aid in exchange for it or are we going to just put a bunch of troops there to maintain law and order and just not remove them <laughs> you know and that's going to lead to bigger problems down the road, political and otherwise. So.
2: Well, I mean, you, you see it now with different, uh, you know, sort of aid organizations going into countries in Africa and building infrastructure. And yeah, what are those, what are the strings attached to that?
1: Oh, yeah, because right now I think I, certain countries of, you know, communist origin. On Eastern Asian peninsulas and stuff are uh, actually offering like building ports in exchange for like uh, they'll like lend them money to do it, and if they miss a payment, they seize the port and say, "Well, we own it for the next ninety nine years." That's happening in normal times, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's bad. Anyways, that's all I had to say about the book for the most part.
0: Eric, yeah, what you got? It uh, it certainly made me think. It's uh, <laughs> like everybody else has said, uh, just looking at the scenarios they put forward and everything that kind of goes down throughout the book and then reflecting on what would happen in reality. It's, I think it's pretty bang on as far as how people would react, um, how things would kind of go down. Uh, I found it interesting with how the different towns were even kind of pitted against each other. So you had outsiders trying to get in um, and we were even seeing not, not similar kind of a similar kind of step, even with COVID going on right now, where, you know, heaven forbid somebody from one town go to the other town and now those people are complaining about outsiders being in their town and walking around. And so it, it that was kind of interesting um, where there's kind of setting up security and, and looking out for for outsiders coming in. Um, I think that that would certainly be happening if, the, uh, if this kind of situation happened uh, in real life. Uh, and then it just drives home the fact of how reliant we are on electronics and electricity um, it's probably something that everybody looks at uh, early in the getting into the preparedness world that uh, EMP is a possible thing and how reliant we are on electricity but reading the book just scared the pachibas out of me because it's just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it just makes you go whoa like it's yeah and how quickly it happens just literally one second after <laughs> you know it's all of a sudden everything's done and now what um
3: uh, and, and it makes you it makes you wake up and realize the absolute and, and and i mean you know Eric, from your emergency service experience and mine is the second the power goes out everybody's on the phone well when is my yep. power coming back when's my power coming back i you know and it i i don't think a lot of people actually realize how yep. absolutely okay. reliant they are on electricity yep. and you know, yeah, a couple hours here, a couple hours there, they're not going to bat an eye, but all of a yeah. sudden it becomes one day, two days, two months, six yep. months. They, oh, they, I, they're, yeah. they're done.
1: A couple, uh, it was a day two and a half into the power outage a couple years ago here, and the guy on the radio station was literally losing his mind live <laughs> on the radio, the DJ, and he was like, they got a boil water advisory in effect. How could these bastards do it? Like, How do they expect me to boil water in my apartment? I was like, oh, <laughs> Thanks. I see. I guess you don't have a Coleman stove then, do you? <laughs> or a barbecue, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, a barbecue or something. I just I kind of laughed because like that was only two days in. And yeah. but the good news about this thing is there'd be no phone calls about the power edge complaining, like, cause nobody no. would be able to make phone calls. So. No, true.
0: No. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Silver lining.
1: Overlining? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Ian, always the positive one. I'm the positive guy. you know that.
1: <laughs> but yeah, no, the,
0: the whole book just had me kind of step back for a second and kind of rethink a, a few things, kind of put, uh, put a few things higher up on the priority list. And, um, even just looking at the dynamics of how everybody organized themselves and how different people took on different roles, and and we discussed it already about um, you know having the mayor who's used to kissing babies and cutting ribbons all of a sudden having the to, to step in and make some serious decisions and such, just it, it really makes you think about who's going to be in that position and who's going to be making the calls and and the power struggle that's going to come out of it. Um, and it's just yeah, the, it's a it's a good book that makes you think. Yeah, it's depressing, but. Uh, Everybody thinks when the power goes out, it'll be back shortly. Not in this scenario.
1: Yeah. Nope.
0: So, it's, it's a so good from,
3: from my end of it, I, I mean, the book was, as, as Eric said, quite an eye opener. Um, yes, it was concentrating around EMPs, but I think the greater threat um, is literally just the grid itself. It's aging. It's yep. in need of serious overhaul. Um it's not hardened in any way, shape, or form. Like I said earlier, those large transformers are an 18-month turnaround now. And again, let alone other people need them. That country's been wiped out like yours, whatever. Um, and, you know, one of my other big concerns, just like Colonial, is, is the cyber attacks on the grid. A lot of these large transformers have uh, remote monitoring or Wi-Fi. Who makes the Wi-Fi? China? Well, if they build it, they can hack it. So, um... Yep. Also, a, a bit reading good. through the book, I, I kind of caught going through it a second time what what I thought were, were some missed opportunities, actually, for for some quick betterment. You know, they talked about, well, we need electricity. They've got that reservoir up there. Let's make a, a water wheel generator or something. And it just kind of went away. Um yeah why didn't they follow up on that? Why did it's, it's not that hard to do. I mean, you need to, you know, find a way to get water from point A to point B. Well, every house has eave trough on it. You rip the eave trough off, you put them all together and you've got hundreds or thousands of feet of a way to get water from point A to point B. And, you know, you find an old car that that's rotted out, but parts on it are still good. You you Use a, a generator with a manual voltage regulator. So you're not burning out batteries. You got all those batteries in those cars sitting beside the road. It's not that hard to make up a battery bank. Um, yeah. And then of course, the other thing that that's been discussed is, um, you know, don't rely on the government, AKA the military to help. Um, I think, especially if you're in a rural area, uh, they will be concentrating on the urban areas where, you know, there's less, Geography, but much more dense people, uh, where that where as opposed to having a humongous geographic area with limited population. So,
1: see, I'm hoping that instead of just like saying, well, there's more voters in cities, so let's try and protect them first. I would think, I would hope in reality, somebody would put their fist down and say, no, let's concentrate on the people that can actually make more food and keep them fed. But you're right, they're probably gonna focus on the urban area because the (laughs) geographical part. But, uh,
3: Ian, yeah. you, Ian, you said common sense. Smart I know. Not- <laughs> common sense
1: and government don't mix. I get it. We have a whole other podcast about that.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean, just to talk to your point, Jeff, about the fragility of the the whole electric infrastructure. Uh, first time I read this, one of the other books I read at the time was called Lights Out by Tom Brokaw, like the, uh, the U.S. journalist. And it was just a, a journalistic exploration of the fragility of the system. Uh, and it's utterly terrifying. Like it really, really is.
1: Well, we had a news article from what, two, three episodes ago, where we talked about even their, their advertising it right now, saying like our grid is so old in California that basically you can expect West Coast power edges for the whole summer because we're just going to manually turn it off because the mm-hmm. resistance level on these lines are so high. They're just going to catch fire. So uh, because of the increasing population, we can't run them. So too bad. And that's without any hacks or EMP or anything. It's just normal ops. So, no, no
0: hacks that we've been told about.
1: Yeah, that's true. But if they're predicting hacks that far out, <laughs> that's pretty impressive too. So, but it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a really old grid. I mean, they haven't really been keeping up with it. They've been spending tax money on random other stuff like, you know, cutting ribbons or cutting babies and kissing ribbons or something like that, I think you said? Uh, cutting right. ribbons,
0: kissing
2: babies, yep. Yeah. Well, you, you look at Texas and... You know, what, two three months ago, when they had their massive blackout because the system just couldn't handle it,
1: and nothing was winterized because it mm-hmm. cost money.
2: Yeah, and people died as a result. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the book certainly made me think about my gaps in preps. Um, I mean, I think all of us. Well, I think it, being a prepper is a bit of a journey. I don't think you ever actually get there. <laughs> uh, we don't. We don't know when the test is coming, but. <laughs> Um, yep. you know, it made me think that yeah, oh, probably having some extra shoes a good idea. You know, look at thoughts about vehicles. The the bit about how all of a sudden distances were measured in walking because yeah, that's kind of the way it goes. You know, if you have to get to your bucket location on foot or by bicycle, what uh, <laughs> what would that actually mean? Um, so or hauling, I think,
1: or hauling a handcart
2: or hauling a handcart. Yeah, you know from. <laughs> Texas to
1: Montana. Montana.
2: <laughs> um, I think the availability of gas was a little bit uh, too easy. Um, I mean, I think that that issue is something that um, you know. Oh, there's all these cars that are stalled, full of gas. Eh, I I I think they kind of got 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 a pass on that that they shouldn't have.
3: Um,
1: well, first of all, there's anti-siphon devices in most of the filler tubes, right? So you yeah. can't just shove a hose down most tubes. And which would necessitate you're going to have to poke a hole in the bottom of the tank, in which case, you know, you've got a flat little spot about yay high that you got to get a pan underneath to collect gas. And you got to figure out a way to stop the gas while you empty the pan into something else and do it again. And, and once you've done that, eventually, when the cars do come back online or, or you replace the parts to move them or tow them out of the way, you got a broken gas tank that you got to replace too. So you just compounded whatever problems you had. I just a, be a... allegedly,
0: right? Ian, you've never tried this before, I take never,
1: it. Never, ever. Okay. But all I can say is, yeah, you're just, uh, <laughs> it'd be inefficient collection of gas at best because uh, the siphon hoses that you think you just shove down the tube and call her a day isn't going to happen either.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love how you know, all, all the lead characters in these books have antique vehicles at their disposal. Very I would unique. love to be that character. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. Um, one and of can the even, things. Even le-
3: talk... Sorry, why so
2: no, 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 it's fine. I'm starting a new No, car. I was just going to
3: say, even even talking about cars and gas and that, what what would happen 20 years from now when the government wants 70-80% of all the cars out there to be electric? Well, now you don't even have gas. So if you find a car that takes gas, where are you going to get the gas from? Because now 70% of the cars out there don't even have gas in them anymore.
2: Yeah, That's a good point. Well, and, I mean, one of the things that i I'd been thinking about, the Book was published in two thousand and nine. Twelve years have passed since,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I was thinking, you know, while it is incredibly current and topical, I mean, there, there's a couple of things that, are, you know, are a smidge dated. Um, but nowadays, when so many things are cloud-based computing, and for, you know, my smart light switch to work, it has to, you know, <laughs> travel. Information has to travel through a server on the far side of the continent. And back for me to be able to turn on my lights, you know, let alone something actually important. How much worse would things be today if this were to happen rather than, you know, the the 10 or 15 years ago that the story was set?
1: Oh, it's only, I think it's it's exponentially gotten worse. I mean, I think they're down to chip sizes like the the circuits are down to the atomic level basically now uh, on circuits like Moore's law has almost become a, a thing of the past and the simple fact that they they can't make circuits much smaller so I think they're about as susceptible as they're going to get to electrical pulses of some sort
0: right. yeah it's yeah it's only going to get worse it's a, it's a freaky book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> High,
1: highly recommended, I would say. If, uh, yes. on my end,
0: highly recommended, and yeah, it'll put your paranoia level. If it's not already up, it'll put it up. If well, this,
2: uh, If you're not a prepper before, this book will make you one. Well, yes, and will. I think
1: every prepper worth of salt, or I, I won't even say prepper. anybody's interested in a little bit of self-preservation or maybe prepared, minded, you know, slightly, mm-hmm. this should be one of the first books you read, you would think, because it's at least it's not like, you know, zombie apocalypse. It's not... You know, yeah. crazy, crazy stuff. It's like pretty believable, pretty possible. And it is. It's, yeah. it's terrifying. Yeah. It's pretty it, terrifying. So,
0: yeah, it, it certainly got me thinking. But,
3: and like you say, oh. it's not one of those real far fetched chances are it'll never happen thing. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether it's an EMP or just uh, a grid collapse, like what happened with the last uh, big blackout out there. It, it's going to happen. And yep. and it's not just a matter of an if; it's just a when. It's going to happen. Oh.
2: So, so, you know, some teenager in North Korea is going to do do it by cyber attack or a twelve year old.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't give him any ideas, gentlemen. Come on now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> with his Fitbit, he's like, take this. <laughs> with his Fitbit, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, oh, boy. Well, in that case, why don't I bring it
2: to the podcast
0: challenge?
2: <laughs> Which
0: uh, has nothing to do with Fitbits.
2: No, no. Uh, take some time to read this highly regarded fiction. Uh, it's terrifying, but worth the read. Read the forward, the afterward, and just consider that this is an incredibly plausible scenario. Uh, takes a It provides a break from the everyday with the added bonus of providing some motivation to keep your prepping and or... Uh, Filling your sus- subscri- prescription for antidepressants
1: <laughs> and insulin and, <laughs> and insulin yeah. Yeah. and, and the
0: way, ex- way to keep it cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after you've read the book, if you haven't already uh, put a Faraday cage up uh, up on your priority list, you, you most likely will after reading this book. So
1: it's actually kind of funny. I've been meaning to do it for a long time, and I got the metal ammo can sitting right there. I just gotta work on it. So.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I know where uh, my radio is going to live. <laughs> yep, I've, yeah. I've got some plans to get one built now too, because yeah, this book scared the credit out of me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's move into upcoming events, which has nothing to do with building Faraday boxes.
1: All right. Well, for now until Ontario changes their mind yet again, or BC decides on the 15th of June that everything's still super dangerous. There are some maple Seed events available at maple to learn some basic marksmanship skills. Actually, just good marksmanship skills. Should we put it that way? And um, there's still events limited to ten people, pretty much across the country available. Get your tickets there. Uh, links in the show notes.
0: Nice. Cool. We've got some deals.
1: Yeah, actually, I was worried because we skipped a week that they wouldn't still be on sale, but they are. Uh, Cabela's has two different types of Midland uh, Family Radio Service, like FRS uh, walkie talkies, on sale. There's some, you know, relatively cheapies. You know, pretty high end stuff. Uh, like sixty or forty percent off on one of them, and twenty five percent off the other. And um, if you don't have a ham license and you want some basic communications to throw in that Faraday cage uh, <laughs> for to yeah, it. for after the uh, the EMP strikes and to maintain your tactical comms and stuff. Good, good value for the dollars. I mean, uh, can't hurt. Yep. It's better than nothing. Um, Let's
0: see. There's another deal that would not require a Faraday cage at all.
1: No, this one is EMP proof. Uh, a Copy of like it's actually an authorized like I guess uh, under license copy of a Glock 19 uh, BB gun at Cabela's as well. Um, it is a Glock model 19 fixed slide BB air pistol on for about half price. Ooh. So it's awesome. It's normally about 140 bucks. It's on for 70, and I enjoy it. I must say. Um, what could go wrong? Yeah, but it Nothing. actually it's it's good for chasing away like mild predators like ravens and stuff like that, and just you know, uh, just without. Damaging anything as required. No firearms license required, which is the important part. So, if you want to like hunt squirrels in case of EMP instead of wasting 22 bullets, you can use your BBs. There you go. Just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move into some shout outs. Uh, you got nobody, Eric? No, nope, not tonight. Okay. Well, speaking of Eric, I've got a uh, listener, Eric, who is uh, currently binge watching our uh, back catalog. Uh, both CPs nice. actually, not just ours, but both CPPs. He's he's uh, just marathoning through. So I that's actually, a lot my, of back episodes. Yeah, I admire his determined approach to catch up, but it does seem like he's just a bit of a touch of mas- masochism going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it's so funny because I got talking with him. File this under Canadian small world stuff. His wife used to be my dental hygienist. Hold huh. <laughs> on. Well, I was like, no way, like three thousand miles away, dental hygienist. He's like, yep. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So that was kind of funny, actually, more than anything else. But
3: small, small world. Yeah. So I've got not really a shout out, but more of a comment. And um, it's been a tough week for me with everything going on these days. People's mental health is suffering. Uh, I lost a coworker and a friend this week to suicide. Uh, If you're suffering or you know someone who is, please reach out and get help. Check on your friends and your family. You never know if that one call might save a life.
0: That's true.
1: Wow, that's right here, Jeff. Yeah, yep. sad.
3: Yeah, Eric. Eric knew him as well. So I, I did, mean, yeah. it's not just me. There's there's other people, but it it wasn't a good week. So yeah, oh, John... yep.
0: so If anyone needs, reach out. Anybody on the panel is happy to chat if you need.
1: Yeah, always for sure.
0: Alright, shall we move into email and iTunes reviews?
1: Right on, I'll take the first one from right. Darren, and it says, In one second after, the main character is John Matherson, and uh, retired colonel, history professor, and man of few words i say he's pretty wordy, but anyway. (laughs) He gets uh, gets wordy. Yeah. (laughs) In the early days following the EMP attack, John wishes more had been done about public safety and regrets he didn't do more for his own family. Doxie Mote having an extra bag of rice at the time would have helped, but uh, John often sees parallels of the past and present, which translates into him becoming an effective, though reluctant community leader, and as the status quo breaks down, food protection and communication become the most important aspects of daily life. His favorite quote is, the practices of 100 years ago worked, we have to go back to them. It's yeah. It boils down to carrying capacity of the land, whether it be talking about wildlife or humans or anything else, right? Uh, so his question is, uh, what is the duration of an EMP, and how long should you wait before opening a Faraday cage? Thanks from Darren. Alright, Darren, uh, EMP is broken down into three parts, appropriately named E1, E2, and E3. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where they got those those conventions from, but anyway. Uh, E1, uh, last nanoseconds. So by the time you say Hey, what just happened it's done so it's called the compton effect or as i'd like to remember it, the straight out compton effect and uh <laughs> basically <so> it, gangster <laughs> so gangster so anyways uh, <laughs> it's the only way i can remember it so um <laughs> it basically affects everything so it's it's over quickly it affects absolutely everything and nothing from a surge protector onwards is going to help you from that yep. so that's where the bulk of the damage is done uh it moves on to the e2 pulse which is actually uh, about one second hence one second after uh, no coincidence on the title there. Uh, and basically, after that E1 is blown through, what would normally be pre- be protected by the E2, uh, or pr- what would normally protect against the E2, is what I'm trying to say, has been destroyed by the fact that everything's been burned out. So it might just be like a normal power surge that you would normally run across, but because all the surge protectors' circuitry has been burnt out, uh, E1s remove the protections, that's where E2 does even more damage. Now, this is where the, probably your question comes into play. E3 can last up to hundreds of seconds. So we're talking like, you know, 10 minutes, that type of thing. And that's where the power lines start to melt down. And anything with, a I guess, a long electrical antenna length, so it could be just like a tightly wrapped wire, could be like a power line across the land or anything else. That's where the E3 pulse kind of comes into play and burns out a lot of stuff permanently. Um, so obviously, if something like that happened, I wouldn't rush to open my ammo can. And from a paranoid prepper perspective, shall we say, Um I wouldn't open my ammo can for at least a couple of weeks, maybe, until things started to get really hairy. The reason being, if I was a bad guy and I did the MP over something like North America, I would do it once. <laughs> I would wait about a couple of weeks. I'd do it again because everybody that pulled out their, their Faraday gauges and opened up their radios and and had their backups uh, out would get those zapped too. It's kind of like when the suicide bombers in Afghanistan would like let off an explosion. All the paramedics would show up. They let off a mm-hmm. second blast because it works. And it's horrible to say, but thats I would be hesitant to open up my box right off the bat. That's a good point. That's, that's my two cents yeah. worth, anyways. Well,
2: and with the, uh, what was it, the Starfish Prime? Crust, Star, yeah. Sorry, Starfish Prime. Yeah. Um, I mean, all, all across the Pacific for eight or 12 hours, they had nothing but static on any of the working radios, I think, because the atmosphere was still so charged, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, everything was pretty much vacuum tube driven, so it didn't burn anything out. But of course, there's a lot of uh, electrical components like capacitors and stuff that would maintain, and the lines themselves would maintain an excess charge that would take a long way to dissipate because I don't think they had what they call, oh, God, it's on the advanced course, Eric. What's that uh, parasitic uh, thing oh. that drains the current out of the capacitors? I oh, oh, just yeah. failed the advanced course. Ah,
0: yep, done. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah.
1: there's we have built in circuitry now that actually drains the circuit after a few seconds mm-hmm. in order to prevent shocks, where that's where the character event and Starfish Prime didn't have those. And so they maintained static because they couldn't dissipate the excess charge. Anyway.
3: There you
0: go. Yeah. So good point. Hurry up and wait. Don't open your Faraday box right away.
1: Yeah. No. Because anything worth shooting is worth shooting twice. Same thing with EMPs.
0: And <laughs> again, two is one, and one is none, right? So maybe you should just have two Faraday boxes. Yeah, just throw that out there. Because <laughs> book's made me paranoid. <laughs> 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 uh, we've got an iTunes review in here. Uh, so it says, uh, "Friendly at the end of the world." It says, "Gotta love Canadians—smart, resourceful, and uh, unfailingly nice, even as the world falls apart." This is a great show for learning the skills to protect yourself and your family. Of course, you got five stars out of it, so appreciate that. Nice. Yeah. Well, with that, I will bring episode 119 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. As depressing as the book is, uh, thanks for sticking around and listening to it, uh, or to our review of it, anyways. Uh, You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or, of course, your favorite podcast app, Uh, Please help us out, submit a review. It helps other people find us.
2: We record the shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the Notifications tab. It gives you alerts when we're about to go live. If you're looking for me, you can find me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca.
3: And like Scott, you can also uh, find me as well at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca.
1: Right on, uh, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at the at gmail.com and on Gab and Odyssey at the island retreat. Uh, you can also find my Canadian Patreon podcast on iTunes, YouTube and in the Discord group, Canadian Patreon podcast email us if you want an invite we can get you on there for sure uh, there you can find me discussing why government waste in society has me building my Faraday cage
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> so uh, please check out uh, rapid survival at rapidsurvival.com you can get me there on the live chat you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca so uh, thanks for joining us this evening until next time be prepared stay safe
1: and keep learning